Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Broadcasting Special, a public service broadcast made on behalf of the Real Mill Fan Show and Achtung Millwall, broadcasting from South Bermondsey. Well, hello and welcome, dear listeners, to Achtung Mill 233. This is actually part two of the interview I did with Jimmy Webb recently. Uh, if you want to hear part one, then you need to swap over to edition 232, but we're going to carry on now with a continuation of part two of said edition. Aaron is a real pro. He's very, very good. Very strong broadcaster, in my opinion. Um, so that ran for about a year and a bit. We used to do the Friday night slot, um, which was which was interesting because it was um, like the pre... I, I, I chose it. I never knew whether I chose the right day or not. And looking back, I, thought, I was wondering whether maybe earlier in the week might have been better. But I, I picked Friday night because I thought, well, that's the night before the the game the next day and it just seemed like uh, a more logical thing to do but in the end like all good all good things it came to an end because uh, in the post Everton FA Cup um, kerfuffle where you know certain a small section of, of the uh, of the uh, east, east upper stand got involved in some old school chanting um, there was a lot of um, moral panic and outrage and unfortunately one or two DJs on uh, uh, radio hosts on Love Sport joined in with um, just taking the easy kick Millwall option. I just felt that um, the only person who's spoken out in our favour at that point was Aaron Paul, um, who was a host of our show. He, he spoke fairly. He was there on, on the night. He said he didn't hear it because it was such a small, low-level event. Unfortunately, someone videoed it, and so it became this huge, huge online circus. But the actual um, chant itself in the moment passed practically everyone by in the, in the stadium. And the only person who spoke fairly in favour of Mill was Aaron. Um, but I know that all of the guys felt that um, when he, he had to leave, they did like a cost revamp of the, the station wasn't succeeding. And I think they had to get rid of some um, some wages, basically. So Aaron was was let go. And I know that everyone involved in the Millwall show, and I'm really quite proud that we did this because no one else did it. We said um, we're not going to carry on with the show. Um, the only reason we carried on shortly after was because Aaron spoke fairly about us and he'd become a mate, he'd become a friend. Mm. And the station um, station was quick to put the boot into our club, like all the others did. 
yeah. like talk sports. And I just thought I, I don't want to carry on with it. I, I was just really also, you know, that that was the reason why we left it. I, I'll say no more than that. I'm going to yeah. say, I, I won't say any more than that. And I, I mean, obviously living out here, and I, I luckily get, you know, the BBC World Service. So I, yeah. I hear Aaron, you know, from the, you know, doing his match reports yeah. from, from a ground like Watford versus whoever. And then, and then, and then, I'm, next thing I'm downloading your podcast, and he's on it. And let's just say that he definitely doesn't use his BBC school of a language. <laughs> your podcast. A great... It's almost like the reins have been let off, and away you go, Aaron. <laughs> well, this is it's the Millwall factor. I mean, you know, Aaron. Aaron has not become. I think he's become a Millwall Millwall sympathizer. I don't know if he's a Millwall fan. I think he probably is a no, bit. You know, good word. Yeah. A built sympathiser, and I think that you know, I don't expect anyone to come in from the outside and be a Millwall fan. You, you, you know, you have to, you have to kind of do your, do your, uh, your apprenticeship as a Millwall supporter. But honestly, as a broadcaster and his depth of knowledge of players and clubs and other teams, it's it, it puts me in the shade. I take my hat off to him, and, it, and he's become a good friend to the Mill Football Club generally. So um, that's all you can ask, all you can ask out of anyone. So yeah, that. But the the love sport, I think that's still. I think they're going into a bit of a, a difficult period at the moment because. Um, but it's not like, sport. It's not sport. That's <laughs> very weird. Very weird. But there we go. I, I listen to talk sport over here every so often, and even that, I'm now thinking, what what more can you talk about? There's nothing. There's nothing. I mean, all the, all the sports channels on TV. I mean, it, you, you can do nostalgia for a bit, but in the end, you just get sick of it. You know, you find that there's nothing. There's nothing to talk about for the moment, at least. You know. Yeah. Board over here with watching the reruns of the 1978 Aussie Rules Grand Final. You know, it's just like I don't care. <laughs> uh, do, do you go Aussie Rules? Just I mean, this is my interview, but do you go Aussie, Aussie Rules out there, Jim? How do you find the sport locally? I will. I would admit that um, I've been to uh, I've been to three or four games. Yes, it's, it's it's a game that a lot of people will knock. Yeah, uh, and it's. Certainly, like that, you know, they'll knock it. Oh, it's just an Aussie rubbish game. You, you know, you get a point for missing the goal. But <laughs> you do because there's, there's, there's four posts. If you get yes, it in are. the middle, you get six points. But if you get it in the in the bit either side of the main post, you get a point. And, and the joke is, oh, you get a point for missing. Um, <laughs> a behind, they call it a behind, I think. Don't a they? Behind. Right, yeah. And and of course they, they 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 score the goal through the post and they all celebrate as if they've scored a fifty yard screamer, which in <laughs> fairness, they have sometimes scored from fifty metres out. But when they when they miss, there's no celebration and, and you just get this solitary point. Point. What you do find with that game is that when you watch it on the telly, you don't appreciate how big the pitch is. It's a cricket pitch, isn't it? It's played on a cricket pitch. It's a cricket pitch and and what's happened before is that the I go and watch the Perth Glory in yeah. in our football, yeah. quite, and they've had to play their game at the uh, Aussie Rules uh, pitch a few times. Yeah, uh, and you realise that they have to put the goal at one end, and it's still got almost two thirds of the pitch is is not used. No, incredible. That's, it's I think someone said it, it's four football pitches long. Amazing. And, and when you're there, you then appreciate how vast. And you know, the, the, the I think these. if um, I mean, I've often thought, what, what if I had done what you'd done, going out to Perth? It's a you know, it's a huge transformation of, of lifestyle. Um, what would you know? What, what sport would I follow? I think if I was in, in the Australian context, I'm not sure I could really get into Aussie rules. I've seen it played, but I'm not sure it really moved me inside. Um, the local football, obviously, if it, 
to a degree, but I suppose that the rugby league would be the thing that I'd probably more latch on to. I think if I was if I was in yeah. in Australia for any length of time, because I think it's just it feels a bit like football does here in the sense it's it's got the same kind of um, depth in 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 the Australian context and cricket. Obviously, well, cricket would be the other choice of summer sport. Just to let your listeners know, uh, like the going back to the Aussie rules here in Perth, we have two teams. Uh, we have the West Coast Eagles and the Fremantle Dockers. Well. There's no way on earth I'm saying, come on, you Eagles. <laughs> so you're a docker. <laughs> and, and, well, not really either, but, you know, if someone put a gun to my head, then it'd be well, the dockers, Millwall were the dockers, wouldn't they, yeah. a long time ago. And, and, and when I first moved out here and I said, like, what's the difference? And I was basically told, the Eagles are the latte drinkers and the dockers are the beer drinkers. <laughs> well, that sounds right up our street, mate. <laughs> Good choice. Yeah, but, but the rugby league over in this part of the country, there's hardly any. Because really? it's eastern states where well, it's basically yeah. Queensland and New South Wales yeah big country you yeah, don't appreciate country, but there's country. only two states that play the, the rugby league and and Melbourne's got a Victoria have got a token team because Melbourne has to have a token team of course so, yeah anyway back to Millwall yes let's, let's go for a question which I know everybody loves everybody has their opinion on um and I'm going to go for the worst Millwall player you have seen Oh, blimey. Well, originally, originally, I would have said Pat Cuff, who was a goalkeeper in the late 70s at, at Millwall. Now, um, Neil and I, Neil Andrews and I have had conversations about this because actually Pat Cuff's track record in terms of keeping clean bad. sheets wasn't that bad. But I, I have a memory and I don't, the memory is a strange thing, listeners. And after a while, when uh, the older you get, I'm sometimes thinking you invent memories. I think sometimes you you create impressions and turn them into memories. You know, it's, 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 it's deep stuff. Um, so originally I probably would have said Pat Cuff. Um, I remember some shocking players from the late seventies. Um, I was looking the other day at the likes of, um, you know, um, I remember Willie Carr played for us. Uh, Alan West, I think played for Mill as well in the late seventies. We had a succession of, um, awful, awful players back then. Um, Pat Cuff, would probably be my choice just because I've always said Pat Cuff. But in, if I'm being logical, I'm going to go with Stefan Meyerhofer, who was the absolute worst Millwall player I think I've ever seen in my life because for a big bloke, um, even Bob Peters looked more dangerous and aggressive than Stefan Meyerhofer. Um, and, and the only goal I ever saw him score came off his backside and he, he claimed it like he'd won the World Cup with this uh, you know, world, world-class world strike from distance. It came off his backside and went in the net and um, that, was, that, was, that was his moment of glory. Uh, Holloway signed in twice. Um, I think he worked as a male model in Austria, a stodgy, dodgy male model out there. Um, but he was, he was probably the worst player because he should have been more physically... Um, he should at least have brought some presence to the front line. He didn't even bring that. He brought no skill. He brought, I don't know what he did bring, actually. Um, he brought nothing at all. So I'm going to go with Stefan Meyerhofer because I think Pat Cuff probably wasn't as bad a goalkeeper as I think I think he was. I think he's probably better than I gave him credit for. So Stefan Meyerhofer is my choice. And, and another question, which is one that I haven't heard very often, but do you have any players that you're – you remember, but no one else seems to remember. And um, I'll give well, you an example. When I'm doing some research or something else, that I'm hoping that will come up soon. Yeah. Do you remember a player called Phil Eiffel who played yes. for Millwall? Yes, I do. Yeah, I and do. I like completely forgot. And I think he was on loan from Tottenham. 
it was a lone player from Tottenham. I mean, obviously Paul Eiffel, of course. Yeah. Um, but I think this was this uh, Phil Eiffel had one L. I think Paul one Eiffel L. had That's right. yeah, two L's. Wow. Um, I, I mean, I'll just say I just said a player there, Alan West. I'm actually thinking, so did he play for Millwall? Have I made that up? Because I'm going to have to check that now. I'm, I'm going online to check. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I remember him being awful, and I remember him. I think it was he was an ex Luton player, I think. And I think we were playing at the Den. It might have been against Luton. And possibly, I could be wrong. But and I remember it pissing down with rain this day. And he, he kind of came out of the cold blow lane and held his hand out. You know, like when you go outside and hold your hand and say, <laughs> oh, it's raining. And he ran back inside again. And uh, that that is not um, that's not a Millwall player, is it? That's that's. Um, so I remember him playing. I'm just checking him now, actually. Alan West, footballer, English midfielder. Uh, there he is. Yeah, he did play Millwall. I'm glad I'm not making it up. I mean, he come from Luton before. He was an awful, awful player. Um, yeah, I mean, Phil Eiffel. Uh, th- th- there's quite a lot when you look through the Mill History website. And I suppose because I've done more research doing these little shows, you come across names. I mean, obviously, Lee Luscombe is a name that always gets raised as a... Uh, I can't remember him. I remember him playing for, for us, Lee Luscombe. I cannot remember him, you know. They were good to see what he looked like. I walked past him in the street and I wouldn't know Lee Luscombe from Adam. But when you look through the um the, the history website, there's loads and loads of players. You think I don't remember them at all. Uh, Phil Eiffel was I think he was actually a decent player, actually. I think he he um he uh he, he came from Spurs on loan and went back quite quickly. But just, you know, just total, total random selection here. I mean, um I'm just seeing Trevor Robinson, who played in 2003 to 2006, oh, one appearance. I, I, again, I, I remember remember the name, but I don't remember him. You know, there's there's loads of players like that. I think it's just um, after after too many years, Jim. I'm afraid they'll they'll start to become one one blob. You know, they, maybe there's a show in obscure players. Well, maybe we'll do that well, another time. Yeah, obscure players and, and obscure players also maybe a, a worse meal. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, other, other players, I mean, there's been loads over time. I was just on Matthias Renegi. I remember him playing for us. Um, but again, I, I couldn't tell you what his face looked like now. You know, it's um, they blur, they blur in your mind after a while. So, so you just mentioned about Alan Carl's, you know, put his hand out, you know, to go and get his umbrella. <laughs> <laughs> which is obviously quite memorable, but any other like memorable match or matches or incidents, you know, while watching? I mean, the the the, the or, great... or a favourite moment that just sticks in your mind, of, you know? Yeah, I mean, the the great moments from the seventies. I mean, I started going in nineteen seventy two, so, um, but in truth, I didn't really absorb what a great moment I saw, uh, infamous moment, I suppose, in a sense, when we beat. Uh, Preston 2-0 1972 and everyone thought that the club had been promoted I was I was there that day and I remember everyone running on the pitch um, but it was only my third game as a Millwall fan I think I probably was starting to call myself a Millwall fan by that stage um, so I'd been to, uh, to Portsmouth the game I think Hull City I'd been to and then the last game of the season was was Millwall beating Preston 2-0 so um, I don't remember. I, I probably couldn't absorb what a great moment that was. The next great moment in Millwall history, I remember there being a League Cup quarterfinal in 73-74, which had to be played on a Wednesday afternoon because of power cuts and the floodlights couldn't be used. But I suppose the 75-76 the season was the, the first successful season that I saw 
and that was a promotion season from Division Three. Um, there were there was games that stand out. I remember Crystal Palace were our great opponents, and I was also at school, uh, secondary school in Chislehurst by this stage, with a lot, almost the majority of them were Crystal Palace fans, and they were going well under Malcolm Allison. Um, they'd been relegated to the third division, so but they were our rival side in the third division. And there weren't many Millwall fans, if any, me and one or two others, not many of us. And it was all Palace, 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 Glamour Club by the standards of the day. Red and blue, they changed their colours from claret and blue to red and blue. Uh, the Eagles, they'd invented a nickname for themselves. They had Malcolm Allison wearing a fedora hat and, you know, fur coats he used to wear. Um, and it just felt so wonderful because at Christmas in 75 I think we were about mid-table and they were going well in the in the top uh top three were promoted that season top three no playoffs and they were going well looking like they're gonna get promoted and it was like this triumphal kind of um atmosphere for Crystal Palace Crystal Palace and Millwall were kind of drifting in mid-table and we managed to turn around one of the great seasons actually I'm going to do a show on the 75-76 season probably a bit before your time Jim I think um, but we managed to get promoted that year. Um, and we, 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 we went to Crystal Palace, um, with them, they, their, their form faded. Ours started to gain momentum. We, we surged up the table into the, into the playoff, uh, into the, into the promotion zone. We, I think there was a crowd of 37,000 at the old Selhurst Park, cause it still had the White Horse Lane in, was still terracing. And it was Neil Nunn and Peter Taylor, who played for Crystal Palace, missed a penalty. Um, they had Millwall in the, in the Whitehorse Lane end, Millwall in the, the Holmesdale Road end. Um, massive crowd, massive atmosphere, and they missed a penalty. And we pulled off a nil-nil draw that did us a favour and did them no good at all. Um, and then the, the strangest um, game of the se- ever I've been to, which was um, at the end of that 75-76 season, was uh, Palace needed to win their last couple of games can't remember how many it was now but they had to beat Chesterfield at home at Crystal Palace and a load of Millwall turned out because we want we needed Chesterfield to pull off a draw and if if Chesterfield drew um or won then Millwall got promoted and the it was full of Millwall at the White Horse Lane and singing Chesterfield songs even now I've got a soft spot for Chesterfield because I stood on the terracing singing Chesterfield la 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 just didn't know any of the names um, and somehow Chesterfield, I don't know what they thought. They must have thought they were this immensely, you know, huge. <laughs> whole White Horse Lane in was, was Millwall, singing of Chesterfield. And um, it finished nil-nil. And that meant Millwall were promoted that season. And it was wonderful because Triumph took place at Crystal Palace's ground in the name of Chesterfield. And a <laughs> um, few, few choruses of Millwall as well, of course. Um, and that was my first successful season. So that's a standout moment, singing Chesterfield at the White Horse Lane end at uh, Selhurst Park. Um, May 76, I think that would have been. My, uh, my, my GP that I see here is actually a Chesterfield supporter, so when I see him next, I shall, I shall hey. bring up the story about that day. because Chesterfield, he's la, 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 Chesterfield. <laughs> <laughs> Great night. True night. There it is. Anyone that was there would tell you that was how it was. <laughs> it not happen anymore, though, because that's the thing. Oh, it couldn't happen there because you'd have to buy your tickets. It just it's, these were the days when you could go to football and pay on on the turnstiles and get in and decide pretty late in the day. I mean, it was a seven forty five game, um, and there was just this thing. Let's get down. Let's get down to um, Palace. Mm-hmm. You know, check, we need Chesterfield to win or or, or draw. A, a draw did it for us, and that that sent us up um, promotion. 
Wonderful night. Wonderful night. Wonderful so team. Would, you call, would you call Crystal Palace as your most disliked team? Yes. Or, yes. Are you yes. in the Crystal Palace or the West End camp? Um, Crystal Palace is my main, is the team I've done really with. At school, everyone was Crystal Palace. Uh, people say, oh, why'd you follow me? Wall is dirty, horrible place, you know, full of, full of, um, you know, the, the worst sort. And Crystal Palace was always elevated to be this kind of um, aspirational middle class. You do much better, as, you know, oh, yeah, Pete, Crystal Palace, that, that's, 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 that's the team, you know, team of the 70s, team of the 80s. The media loved Crystal Palace. Everyone had a down on Millwall. Um, I think I've got like a personality that always responds to do what, what people don't want me to do. You know, I think I've oh, went from parents to anyone, really. If you don't want me to do it, I'll, I'll do it or say it or think it. I, I, I don't ask me why. It's uh, kind of a uh, <laughs> just the way I am. So I think the more people said you shouldn't follow Millwall, the more I followed Millwall because it just seemed like the thing to do. Crystal Palace is my, they were the team at school. I would brought up around Crystal Palace fans, always middle-class kids from places like Bickley and Petswood. Um, always, you know, they, they always had the kind of, um, the, the, the glow of success about them, whereas Mill, unfortunately, success was a far rarer event for us. Um, I know I know we're meant to hate West Ham, and um, I know that there's the, the, the rivalry runs deep and all the rest of it. I, I know all that, and, you know, I like beating West Ham as much as anyone. But I've kind of learned it rather than feel it, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I've learned it. Um, and every time I've ever spoken to a West Ham fan, they're not bad, actually. I've always found them all right, you know, um, on, a, on a private basis. You know, obviously in the in the stadium at the Mill versus West Ham game, you've all got a role to play. And it's like it is like a play drama that has to be played out. But every West Ham fan I've ever spoken to, I find them OK, actually. Um, they're, they're very similar to Millwall fans, very similar club. Um so although yes i know i know we've got to hate them and i know you know it's got to be done um i'm not sure I'd, i'm not sure deep down i really feel it in the same way as i just love beating crystal palace it's wonderful it's like a triumph of youth over over everything i was told not to do when i was a kid <laughs> I've got I've got a couple more questions to go, Nick, but I'm, I'm going to leave those for a little while because um, they're the they're the nice questions. So all right, mate, go on. In, involvement at Millwall, so. You know, you're obviously standing there, you know, you're on the terrace and then you've, we've moved to the new ground. Yeah. And then from my memory, your first involvement in, in Millwall was, did you set up the Lions Trust all those years ago? I got involved. I, I had no real desire to get involved in anything. If I'm going to be real, it might sound a bit odd given all yeah. this stuff over the years. Um, and I was quite happy just going to watch football. You know, that's really all I wanted to do. Um, I got online in the house of fun and, you know, you, you get talking, I suppose, online. But it co- coincided. Um, uh, I started writing some stuff because I always fancied myself as a bit of an author. So, I, you know, I, I wrote for the, uh, the fanzine. I did bits for the website as well, but nothing of any great, um, you know, import, really. Um, and then in the, it really kicked off with 2005-ish. We we went for a crisis. I mean, 2005-6 was the world's worst season, and we 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 went for a period where um, the management and the ownership of the club was in turmoil. We we acquired Peter de Savary, and that kind of ghost figure of um, Graham Ferguson, Lacey. Uh, I suppose a moment came where I felt like I ought to do something to 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 try my little bit as far as I could do to 
help save Millwall Football Club. I, I didn't really want to get involved in stuff because I find arguing with people online wearing and, you know, I don't really like to do it if I can avoid it. But um, there was a moment came in the, and it's, I think that was when um, first time I met you, Jim, was at the at the pub um, in Deptford. I can't think of the name. Was it the Lord, Lord no, Clyde? It was the Barnaby. The Barnaby, the Barnaby, the Barnaby on the, on the Long Hilderton Road. Yeah. That's right. There was, there was, there was, that's right. Yeah. And I, I remember meeting a bunch of blokes at the, in Deptford and also the Barnaby. You're right. Um, so it was just a sense that the, the club was kind of dying on its arse and that we needed to do something. I don't think anyone was very clear what that something would be. Um, I got approached by Jez, Jez Holden, who was a, 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 a a bloke I had a huge t- amount of respect for, um, who's a member of the Lions Trust Committee, which I didn't really um, know much about, and I found I found it I found it worthy and and boring all in one. You know, I, I didn't really know what I was meant to do with the Lions Trust, but I got involved with it just as a means of trying to, I think probably protest at the state that the club had got into. Um, obviously, the answer didn't really lay in. Uh, the supporters trust doing anything particularly because we didn't have any money so we couldn't really bring anything um, very important to bear other than being a kind of a conduit for people's protest and um, saying things that sounded kind of vaguely important self-important possibly that that helped people feel that they were doing something to save their club and so I got involved with it in a, in a way as as a means of trying to do something um, very loosely defined do something um, and we had a period where the club was in turmoil and, you know, um, I, was, I think I was just trying to do my bit without any real clear direction as to what that bit might be in truth. I don't think any of us really knew what, what could be done. I don't think we really had an answer. The, the, the supporters trust existed really, I think, as a possible framework and it's, it still legally exists. I think I haven't, I haven't heard from anyone for a long time about it. But if we went down the, the the Wimbledon route, for example, where you needed to reform a football club, uh, our club, as as a kind of an AFC version, you could tag it onto the idea of a supporters trust, which was like a, a membership based organisation and, you know, a democratic kind of idea that you could vote for your chairman, all this kind of thing. So I think we 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 had it there as, as as a kind of a I used to think of it as like a lifeboat that you could jump into if the if the ship was sinking. Um, I'm glad it never came to anything like that because I'm not sure I, I'm not sure that I would have been the best man for that role, um, and I'm not sure who would have been. In in all honesty, I think it would have been quite catastrophic if it had ever got to that point. But that's that's why it was set up, and that's why I got involved with it. Um, and that's I think it still exists. I think it's still out there. I think it legally still exists, although it's dormant and um, you know doesn't do anything, which is <laughs> which is fine by me. <laughs> I remember that night in the Barnaby and, and it's probably one of the very few occasions where all these various fans yeah. group. So we had like, you know, all the all the fanzines were there, all the online forums yeah. were there and I was there because I was a part of the supporters club at the time. And yeah, uh, I remember that. And yeah, and, I remember. And, uh, do you remember we, we, we actually managed to write a letter to the club uh, and we all signed it under the, was it Millwall Fans United? Something like that. I think there was. I mean, it sounds a bit. Um, it sounds a bit naive, I suppose, when you look back at it, Jim. To be honest, and like I said, I, I don't think any of us had any clear idea as to what we were trying to trying to do, other than just to protest at the state that the club was being run in. Yeah. I think well, that was, was probably. Yeah, I mean, it was it was spinning out of control. We we did this Millwall fans united thing, which. Um, 
the, the problem with anything like that is as soon as you take any kind of make any kind of opinion online particularly i find this a lot if you say anything there's a million and one people who want to snipe at you and come back at you and call you every name under the sun and i I've run out of energy on that front, to be absolutely honest. I, I, I don't want to do that. I can, I enjoy the football. I enjoy, I enjoy doing what I believe is a good thing, which and the podcast has kind of evolved into something like what I, I consider a, a good thing. But um, the idea of trying to bring people together in one group to have one purpose and and to try and achieve something very, very difficult. I, I, that thing fell apart quite quickly because you had a million and one opinions and no one willing to. Everyone had a viewpoint. No one was willing to do anything. You know um so no it was a strange strange period i mentioned the other day meeting this the peter de savary and um you know the chairman at the time he stepped down after a while and things seemed to get a little bit easier we had Stuart till came in and he was a mill fan so things seemed to ease up and then obviously in the end uh, john barrelson came in and, and the ship was steadied so the need for that kind of protest vehicle stopped and i'm quite glad about that in, in truth it was it takes a lot of time and energy. I mean, I got involved recently with the, um, the protest campaign for against Lewisham um, when they were looking to take the car park away from the from the from the club. Uh, it was immensely wearing. Took a lot of energy, a lot of time, a lot of headspace. Um, and again, I, I think I did it because I wanted to do my bit. I, I, I wouldn't have felt happy if I hadn't have done everything I could do to try to help the club in that time of what looked like a real crisis and the same you know back then back when we met at the barnaby it felt like a real crisis and i wouldn't have felt comfortable um following this club that's given me so much really over the years without at least trying to do something back and i think there was a i think everyone that was there that night had a sense of that to be honest although everyone brought their different um viewpoint many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out my solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST. And up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey Dave. Yeah Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. You know. You are listening to Achten Millwall. And yet, you did stand yourself for election for the first ever fan on the board. Yeah, I did. Um, if 
if as we're on the confessional, it's like the psychiatrist's couch here, Jim. Now I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna lean lean back in my chair and I'm gonna put my feet. Up. Have, an, have another glass of red wine. <laughs> it was a bit early for that. It's only it's, was it um, half past twelve here. A bit early for that. Yeah, oh, I might. Stop, I might have, Nick, it's half right. past seven here, so you can have a glass of wine and wine. I don't. I don't want an Australian time, mate. Um, I'll have an Aussie wine, I think. Um, yeah, I, I did. I, I did it half-heartedly, if I'm truthful, because. Um, I think even then I knew that I probably wasn't really well suited to the role. Um, I think that you have to have a, you have to be a bit of a diplomat as well as being willing to be abused and called every name under the sun whilst um, trying to do your best by people. Anyone that has done that role, I take my hat off. Peter Garston won that election, and rightly so, I think, because we 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 had a, um, a meeting. All the candidates we tried to conduct it in a very gentlemanly fashion. And I was most keen for it not to fall into the Millwall zone of, um, you know, a maelstrom of abuse and, and all the rest of it. So I remember we met and Peter came over to where I was working. Uh, we had a meeting in the pub next door to where I was working over at Pimlico at the time. And um, I met Peter, um, Richard York, who's um, another another um, candidate. And I think Ted uh, was a, one other. Oh, um, uh, Cliff. Uh, so we had five candidates, all good candidates, in my opinion. But I think Peter was probably the strongest one. I think having met everyone face to face, I thought I don't know if I want to win this. Really, I think I think Peter would make a better um, a better fan on the board of all of us. I thought he was the strongest candidate. So I, I did I did enter it. I did my best. Um, I think that probably I, I wouldn't have done the job as well as Peter. In all honesty, um, he won by about fifty odd votes. His name was more well known, I think, amongst um, the older school fans. Yeah. Mm. Uh, picking my words carefully here um, and I think that he was a worthy winner and he did a fantastic job because there had been no template for it before um, when he stood down well, there was an election a couple of years ago and it, that turned into quite a nasty a nasty event which I'm glad really glad that ours, ours wasn't ours was kept quite quite gentlemanly I remember we did a, a radio show over in Thamesmead I think the South London radio I think it was called broadcasting from Thamesmead and we went over and met we're all on shaking hands terms. I still call each, you know, I know them to uh, on first name terms and I'd still call them each of the candidates, people that I've got a lot of time and respect for. And whereas the second election wasn't quite such a happy event. <clears throat> and, um, you know, I'm not sure that um, that one would have that, that left a bit of a more sour taste. So I think that the role has probably reached its, um, well, it's, it's been done away with now, I think probably rightly so in the in the modern era, because I think communication is much, much more easy with, with social media and likes of these shows that we're doing now. So, um, but to answer your question, yes, I did. I came second to Peter and I think that's probably the correct result. So I shook his hand on the night. I said the best man won, but I still believe that to this day. And, and, and on a slightly lighter note, and, and please edit this out if I've got this completely wrong, but was you a member of the Millwall Fit Club? I did the Millwall Fit Club, yeah. We, we, again, <laughs> we, it was an early YouTube in, in its early days. I thought we had, had the idea that you could do... Um, a the, the, the couple of the guys, um, there was Steve off of the um, off of the, the Lions Trust, and well, you, you you weren't in that yeah, gym, I, were you? Yeah, I was I was the lightest of the fit club, and I I, <laughs> I, I weighed in at fourteen and a half stone at the time, uh, we, had... and it was uh, it was just to see how much weight we could lose. And Doctor yeah. Doctor Allison, I think, run was you know the club's doctor. That's Allison right. Alison Leary, Obi. Obi, professor, 
Professor Leary, I think, as well. Sorry, sorry, Professor. We speak to each other on Twitter every so often. So. I think she had the idea that there was going to be some kind of like binge diet going on, and someone was going to go from like I mean, I was coming in at about sixteen stone at the time, and I was going to go down to like I don't know ten stone or something, and a worrying weight loss. I don't. Any of us had any chance of worrying amounts of weight loss, Jim? Because I think by the end of it, I don't think much. I actually lost two stone in weight during that. Uh, did that you? Period. Well done. I, did, I was quite happy with myself, and then. Well, I remember going to some of those because we used to have to do weigh-ins before. We had a weigh-in, didn't we? Yeah. I'm, I'm convinced that someone walked in to the weigh-in with a half-eaten bug up away. Well, let's, let's just say the Mill Fit Club had varying rates of success. I, don't, I think I lost a little bit. I don't think I lost much. But well done. If you, if you lost two stone, that's good going, mate. Well done. Yeah, I'll put it on since. <laughs> I've forgotten that. Well, I'll tell you what I have got. I've still got my T-shirt. The Fit Club t-shirt. t-shirt. It's it's like five XL. You know? <laughs> you probably living it. You probably set it up outside in your garden, I living shall, it as a tent. I shall, I shall put a take. I shall put it on and take a photograph for you. And because we did go out onto the pitch, didn't we? Uh, you know. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I forgot that. Yeah. It was it had, it had mixed results, listeners. I'm not sure I want to get involved in that any, anymore either. Mill Fit Club's a thing of the past, rightly so. As, as, as regular listeners know, I've got lots of programmes. I shall be digging out the results over the next couple of days. I'd like to see that. I'd like to see that. <laughs> oh, dear, oh, dear. Yes. So let's get on to these final two questions then, which is always... Uh, I'll, I'll combine favourite all-time player and your favourite current player. And I know you've been on podcasts where you've been speaking about this, but just, yeah. just for the record. For the record, my favourite all-time player. I was I was really too young to absorb what who Harry Cripps was and what he meant. I did see him. Um, I started going 72, so Cripps played for the 72-73 season and a little bit of the... 73, 74 season, then he, he, he was um, he was dropped, famously dropped, big moment. I remember him, the, the dropping of Harry Cripps was like a, a, an earthquake at the den. Program notes noted it, and we had Dave Donaldson came in and Eddie Jones for, for Cripps and Brown. Um, but I didn't really, it, it, it didn't um, mean the same to me, because I was still too young at that stage. But the player that did always mean a huge amount to me was Barry Kitchener in defence. Um, he was Millwall. Um, he seemed to epitomise the club um, during the, the promotion season. He had this he had this, this great um, match day programme with like an artist's impression of Barry Kitchener with his arm raised on the front cover, on the inside cover, I think. Um, and then he obviously he was there till the early 80s, actually, before he retired fully. Um, so Kitch was my favourite all-time player. He was a much better defender than I think he was ever given credit for in his day for the reasons that we've touched on with with others Herlock and included that when you play for Millwall you just don't get the recognition that would come your way if you're playing for example for Crystal Palace for example just as pluck one from the air um so pitch all time I, I always enjoyed um I always enjoyed seeing a good flair player at the den we're, we're not known for our flair players um but I always enjoyed the likes of Teddy um was a great player immense player um the likes of Jimmy Carter and the wing and, and back in the old days, uh, Golden Hill briefly, who I did see um, when he came into the team in the early 70s. Um, so I like a good flair player. I, I enjoyed the likes of Alex Ray, um, players who were, you know, they had that mill aggression, but they also had a certain touch about them. Um, 
At the moment, I, I enjoy Jed. Jed's a Millwall player. He's got he's got flair and he's got touch, but he does the tackling too. Um, I like him. I, I, I like Steve Morrison, Jim. I, I, I think Steve Morrison um, is a he's a proper Millwall player. I know I know people don't like him and he's miserable and he didn't smile and didn't do the cuddly stuff so much, but I thought he was a great servant for our club. Um, Morrison, being the current team, I think I'd probably pick Jed because he does bring that touch of pizzazz and flair. Um, but it, just to touch, go back to Kitch for a moment, I, I see a lot of Kitch in, in Sean Hutchinson. Very similar player, rugged, determined, brave, immensely brave in the tackle and a much better defender. And they'd probably be given credit for. I mean, coverage of the game is much um, much wider, much deeper now. And players are known more easily than they would have been back in the old second division days of the 70s. But I see I see a lot of Kitch in Sean Hutchinson. Anyone that saw Kitch, I hope, would agree with that that judgment because I think they're, they're both very, very solid defenders and both underrated. So, um, and you, you never met him? Never met him, no. Um, no, I never met him. Um, he, he had a pub, didn't he, on the old Kent Road at one point? Was it the Shard Arms? Was he was he landlord? Oh, I'd I superior knowledge on, on that one. But so, I remember you saying you've never met Kitch, and yet one of my very first earliest memories was being taken down Millwall with my dad and with, with his mates and got the programme and it's, oh, go and get that man's autograph. Yeah, I, mean, I, 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 I got um, Harry Kitchen to sign the program. So <laughs> I, I got Brian King, goalkeeper, Brian King's um, autograph in the early. We used to get there very early, um, like you used to do when you were kids. I mean, the game would kick off at three o'clock. We'd show up at 12 o'clock at, at Coldblow Lane. And I remember seeing the players arrive and I got Brian King to give me an autograph, which I haven't got anymore. I don't know what's happened to that. It's got lost over the, over the years. Um but no, I never never met Kitch. Uh, it sounds a bit odd. Um, I've never been great one for meeting players. Actually, I've never 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 really done that. Um, I've always kind of it's it's interesting now in the modern game because obviously you get to know them a little bit more via their social media postings and you know even reading Richard Sadlier's book, for example, where you get to know the person. Um, it's it's quite interesting because you you tend to just watch them from afar and. They're a little bit. It's a little bit like watching a, a movie or a or a, or, a, or a cartoon in a way. You know, they become these characters who you you watch, but you don't know. You know, it's it's, it's odd. But I, I've never really been one for meeting players. Um, the only manager I ever met was Holloway, and I didn't 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 take to him at all. Um, so I think I probably had this idea that you shouldn't meet your heroes. It's not good for you. <laughs> well, Nick, I think we've been rattling along far too long, and. Uh... As much well, as probably have half a dozen questions here, but I think it'd be good if we called that a day. Wonderful stuff, mate. Thank really, you for your time. Really appreciate it. Thank you for and doing it. I would like to now tender my resignation as host <laughs> of Actville and pass it back onto your capable hands, please. <laughs> I'll take I'll take it gladly. Um, I hope you enjoyed I hope you enjoyed the role. It's it's quite an interesting thing to do. Um you know, people sometimes ask me, do, you, do I get worried about all these other podcasts and vlogs and things? I said, no, every, the more the merrier. Have a go. It's it's quite interesting. Yeah. It's quite quite illuminating to do it. So I, I encourage anyone to have a go. So well done to you, mate. Um, yeah. And, and also, I encourage anybody that listens to get in touch. And, you know, as you know, all I kept thinking of is two blokes talking nonsense about football. That's all it is. All it ever comes down to. That's all you got in the end. That's all we'll go out of this world with, mate. So, um well done. Thank you very much, Jim. Yep. Much Thank appreciated. You, uh, just, just everyone stay safe, self-isolate, 
and let's let's give the virus the red card. Is that too corny? Arrivederci, Millwall. Achtung Millwall and the Real Millwall Fan Show are the number one Millwall podcast and we want to hear from you. So get in touch with us. Let us know your thoughts, your views, your rants about all things Millwall. We've got email, achtungmillwall at gmail.com. All one word, achtungmillwall at gmail.com. You can get in touch with us and leave us a voicemail on 0208 144 0232. That's 0208 144 0232 leave us a voicemail no human will be involved in the receipt of your message so give us a shout tell us what you think about all things Millwall and the best messages will be read out on air Achtung Mehlball Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.